The Worm of Linton, written by David White and told by Rebecca Brown. The Worm of Linton, while unsurprisingly being from Linton, was not what you would typically think of as a worm. That is, unless your garden is packed with ten feet long fanged creatures capable of devouring a flock of sheep. While legends represent it differently, some saying at one point it sprouted wings, while others state that it could breathe fire, they all agreed that it was a formidable monster that no normal man could face and survive. That was until John Somerville decided to face it down. Word had reached Somerville, a man who, while not overly rich or renowned, was of a growing class of brave and honourable man, with some local stature. In a bid to both benefit the locals and increase his rank, he went off to investigate the rumour of a great monster that lurked on Linton Hill on the outskirts of the village of Jedburgh. When he arrived at the village, he witnessed a scene as though some strange magic had made every villager disappear. The village did not look ransacked, it merely looked empty. And still. The stillness was eerie until he heard a clank at the far end of the village. He rode off in search of this sound and arrived at the village smithy. Good sir, I wonder if I might trouble you for a brief moment, asked Somerville. Firon, not got much else to be getting on with. Business is up sticks and left around here. And if that damn worm ain't gone soon, I'm going to have to follow them. Been here my whole life, so I have. My dad was the smith before me, his dad before him. Well, it's just that I came to ask about, said Somerville. Where is this beast that I've heard so much about? Do you have any reliable information about it? From what I've heard, it's somewhere between 10 and 100 feet long and may or may not fly and breathe fire. The blacksmith chuckled. Sounds like the locals getting carried away if you ask me. I can't say for sure, as I'm not stupid enough to go looking for him myself, but from what Sam the farmer's boy said to me when we went to try and retrieve what little remained of his flock, it lay around 10 feet in length. Wide enough to get you down in one go. Razor sharp fangs. Didn't hear nothing about no wings or fire though, but I could be wrong. Well, sounds like I better go and scout it out for myself, replied Somerville. You're a braver or stupider man than me, then. It's just on the northeast of yonder hill, though it's said to have been venturing into the surrounding countryside. Best time to hail look is said to be at sunset as it descends into its lair. With the sun already going down, Somerville thanked the smith and immediately got on his horse and rode out in search of the beast. Upon arriving at what he took to be the lair of the beast, Somerville dismounted and slowly approached with his torch lit. Then, as though a secret force had stuck him to the ground he was walking on, he froze. All was quiet for a moment, and then came an almighty snarl as a huge creature lunged out of the cave in the hillside, stopping but a few feet from Somerville. Somerville couldn't quite gauge the length of the beast, as its tail end remained in the lair, but he guessed it must have been at least the ten feet the blacksmith had stated. The creature glared open-mouthed at Somerville, its dark, pooling eyes fixated on his, and its long, serpent-like tongue hissing from between its long, razor-sharp fangs, at least the length of a man's middle finger. Somerville, with the light now but a small flicker on the horizon and his torch quickly becoming the only small source of illumination, thought to retreat as quickly as possible. What he was sure of, though, was if this creature was indeed some form of wyvern, it couldn't fly unless guided by a magical force. Slowly, Somerville edged away from the beast, keeping his eyes fixed on it, 
but as he took another step back, he stumbled over a small rock jutting out from the earth below and the creature pounced. Somerville's gears fighting instincts kicked in and he swung his torch at the beast and it recoiled as though bitten and released a piercing shriek. At that moment, Somerville seized his opportunity and ran to his horse and rode for the village. Upon reaching the village, he rode up to the smithy, shouting for the man's aid. The blacksmith, clearly a bit ready for bed, looked less than pleased at seeing the shaken man. A small grin crossed his face as he crossed his arms and said, Ah, so you've met our creature then. Take it you got a good look at him by how riled you are. Oh yes, quite a good look, replied Somerville. And I would like you to make me a modified lance at your earliest convenience. Whatever you want that for, questioned the blacksmith. Why, I mean to slay the beast, of course, stated Somerville. Without saying another word, the blacksmith gave him a disbelieving glance before facing his forge. What are you after, then? I would like a lance with a wheel around a foot from the point. The blacksmith grunted and walked into his smithy, only glancing back to say, Come back at first light. It'll be done then. While it's lost to time exactly how the contraption Somerville asked for worked, some say the point moved on the wheel with burning peat attached, while others say the wheel moved like a Catherine wheel attached to the lance. Whatever the actual design, it involved fire and sharpened iron. The sun began to rise and the first cockerel crowed, raising Somerville from his monster-ridden dreams in a hay barn. Shaking off the dreams of that night, he mounted his noble steed and headed off to see the blacksmith. Morning, sir. Your lance is promised, said the blacksmith, proudly presenting the unusual weapon. Somerville inspected the lance, spun the wheel and checked its point. Perfect, he stated, after a careful assessment. He paid the blacksmith generously before heading out in hunt of peat and pitch to complete his contraption. He quickly found and liberated both from the deserted village, leaving a couple of small coins in their place. For the rest of the day, he rode back and forth in a local field, brandishing his flaming lance fueled through pitch-doused peat, ensuring a long, burning hot flame. Unfortunately, it also had the effect of being a very smoky affair, and so he sought to ready his horse for its use in battle with the beast. The day drew on and gradually the horse started to keep its course, stay at pace and remain calm. His noble steed had always been a strong and quick to learn horse and it had been remarked on several occasions that such an animal surely belonged to a man above his station. By the end of the day, as the sun was setting, he decided he was ready and so he set off for Linton Hill to face off against the creature at its lair. As he rode out of the village, the blacksmith gave him a wave and whispered under his breath, God protect this madman, he means well fully expecting to never see Somerville again. Somerville arrived at the lair with a vivid red sky above as the sun began to dip away below the horizon. He began banging on his armour, beckoning the creature to appear from its lair. He then lit his lance and something about the smoke and the noise drew the creature out. This time, it was more pensive. It slithered around Somerville looking for a weak spot to pounce. At that, Somerville rode away a small distance as though retreating. Then as quickly as he left, he turned and rode back at full speed, with his lance down. And just like that, he burrowed the fire-spinning lance deep inside the maw of the beast. The beast made the most awful shriek and began to enter the most dramatic death, yanking the lance from Somerville's hands. But it was too late for the beast. It had been struck a mortal blow. And as it thrust to and fro, convulsing on the hillside, the earth beneath it began to give way and it plunged through the ground down into the cavern below, never to be seen again. 
Somerville glanced down as he saw the last flickers of his lance disappear into the darkness, along with the creature who had now found a tomb in its former home. Somerville rode back to the village victoriously, and before the next day was out, the villagers had returned from the surrounding towns and villages, and Jedburgh once again thrived. Within a week, word had reached the new king, William the Lion, and Somerville was named the Royal Falconer and the first Baron of Linton for his bravery in defeating the worm. And that is the story of the rather unusual worm that once blighted the village of Jedburgh, which can thank its existence today to the brave actions of one John Somerville. Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page, which you can find in the show notes if you'd like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.